Welcome to the 167 Podcast, a podcast to inspire, challenge, and encourage you. Our goal is to help you live into the 167 hours of your week away from church. And now your host, Shannon Patterson. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 39 of the 167 Podcast. I'm Shannon Patterson, the lead pastor at the Porch Community Church, here with my friend, and partner in ministry and fun. Uh, I thought you were going to say crime. And well, no, we, I have. We, I don't think we've committed any crimes today. Not yet. But hey, Josh Harrell, media pastor, how are you, sir? Doing well, Shannon. How are you doing? I'm okay. Yeah. I am. I am number seven in a group of eleven people who are doing a pick'em group. It's called the Porch Pigskin Pick'ems. You're number seven. Usually, you're like one or two. Yeah, but there's two drop weeks, so this will probably be my well, drop week. Well, week one top 25 was awful the top 25 it was, was awful yeah we had like 24 games to pick and it was uh <clears throat> yeah so i love college football man i I'm really so, do i'm so happy it's back yeah so auburn they uh, handled akron okay yeah. i mean you know you go yeah they beat akron <laughs> but like they beat them 60 to 10 and they, the starters they beat only, them and the starters only played the first half yeah well oklahoma played tulane and barely beat them yeah so uh yeah yeah, I don't, I don't know about, yeah. Anyway. And, then, and then the best game of the week was probably the Florida State-Notre Dame game. That was, that was such a good yeah. game. Yeah. A friend of mine uh, took her son down there. She's from Indiana originally, big-time Notre Dame fan. And he got a little cranky. He's younger. And so they had to leave at halftime or right before halftime. Yeah. <laughs> but she said they got home in time to watch overtime. Oh, wow. So yeah. she could watch it. But I was like, oh, that would stink to be there. Yes. <laughs> but that's the joys of parenthood, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, leaving games and such. So we were watching um, the U.S. Open tennis is on right now, and uh, Drew took me, uh, gosh, it's probably 11 years ago now because Mallory wasn't alive yet. Um, and I got the worst migraine at, like, there. And so I was like, we got to go. He took you to the U.S. Open? Yeah, we went to the U.S. Open and, and saw and matches, had, and, and, and I got it. a migraine. And, yeah, and I, I felt so bad. So it happens. That's life. Yes. So, um, so what are it, we doing? So, in today's episode, we're going to continue. today's episode. Yep, we're going to continue our conversation about men, women, roles in the church, and home. Mm-hmm. Discuss dogma, doctrine, and opinion. Yes, dun, dun, dun. yes, we are. And we're going to encourage you if you haven't listened to episode thirty and thirty-eight, stop <laughs> and go do that. Yeah, go back and listen to those because they really do help. Yeah, uh, episode thirty we cover a lot of scripture, and then uh, episode thirty-eight actually it, today's like a continuation of of episode thirty-eight. So, right. yeah. um, so we definitely encourage. I think the next couple of episodes are going to kind of be in this zone a little bit, like a series. Almost. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, but so speaking of episode thirty-eight, yeah. I ha- I want to start by asking for uh, one. I want to make a correction to something I said last week, and then I want to ask you a question. Okay. When I mentioned complementarianism last week, I said that only men could be pastors in the churches, and only women could teach children. But what I meant to say was women could only teach children or other women, not that only the women were allowed to teach children that men couldn't. Right. So anyway, I just misspoke, but I didn't want that to sound weird. So, but then um, you said something very interesting and it kind of, and it kind of stayed with me a little bit. Okay. And so I think it would be helpful if, if, if I thought about it, I think it'd be helpful to our listeners to hear more about um, a comment you made in episode 38, around the 37 minute mark. Um, 
you said that, uh, quote, at home, I feel like I, I do have more God-given responsibility for the spiritual walk of my wife and my daughters. And then you also said, quote, I have that responsibility. That is not Kara's responsibility, end quote. Can you speak to that a little bit more and yes. share kind of what, you know, I don't know, yeah, just what's behind that, what, um, how you were taught in that. Just, just give us a little more on it. Yeah, so um, I was br- raised up in a very complimentary church. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is the foundation of my thought process. Sure. But I, but I don't want to live into just that right. thought process that I grew up in. So um, when you said, hey, you're going to have to talk about this. <laughs> I went back and dug a little Did bit. Did I say it just like that? No. I think I said, be prepared. Be prepared to defend this. <laughs> and so I started listening to people that I've listened to in the past. Ooh. Um, and then I started and I listened to people that I listen to now. So I listened to a couple of our um, mm-hmm. sermons that can be found on this podcast channel. <laughs> um, and then also... Um, Went back and read the Bibles that I tend to gravi- mm-hmm. gravitate towards, and then also um, translations that other people, like the biggest translations. Mm-hmm. So, like, I looked at um, ESV, New King James, NIV, NIV yeah. and NLT. Mm-hmm. So, I looked at all four of those. And then, so I found verses that um, talk about being. Uh, having re- responsibility, not rulership. And that's the big thing that I want to convey, that I'm not talking about that I have uh, r- rulership or I'm in charge. I, yeah. I have a, to me, I have a God-giving responsibility that I'm, that I'm on the hook for more. Mm. So I looked at that stuff. And who put you on the hook? Uh, well, let's, let's look at some scripture. Okay, great. All right, so um, in Titus 1, 6 through 9, uh, it talks about an elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife, and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. A church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Mm-hmm. So, what version is that? That is NLT. Gotcha. Okay, so um, to that point, the pronouns used in ESV, New King James, and New Living Translation for every verse I found is all has been he. Mm-hmm. The NIV on some occasion goes from he to whoever or they. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't it doesn't always stick to he pronouns that the other translations are doing as well. Yes. Um, and then Titus 1, 6 through 9, verse 9, he must have a strong belief in the trustworthy me- message he was taught that he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also, instead of just having single verses, I also have chapters, so it takes a little time to Sure, find, yeah, yeah. Because I don't want to proof text. No, well, you know, I have in my collection i have pages and pages of notes and quotes and articles and and information that i've been just collating as we've been kind of working towards this these episodes you know Mm -hmm. and um 
I don't have it really panned out yet, but I do have a, a, a good amount of, of uh, information in regard to even um, the text and how someone went through and did, like they looked at several, several versions of Scripture mm-hmm. and, and looked at how they went back to the original language and if there was, <laughs> if there was actually like a, a motivation in some of the translations Correct. by the, by those translators to um, input male language where it was not in the original. Okay. I was even watching something the other day um, uh, a couple nights ago uh, that Andy Stanley talked about, and I think I might have that in, in my notes for, for later on in this episode, but um, if not, it'll be coming up. So I, that's why I was, one of the reasons I was wondering. So but this, is, this is really, this is the conversation. This is where... This is why, I mean, because I'm not, I'm definitely not like putting you on the hot seat or trying to set you up to then knock you over or anything like that. This is why I think there are so many different opinions and understandings and expectations and all those things about the roles of men and Mm -hmm. women in the church, in the home, in society in general. Yeah. So. And then, so the... So I appreciate your work that, right. on this. So. And, I, and I have several verses, but the one that really stuck out most to me, mm-hmm. and it uses the same language in all versions except for the NIV, mm-hmm. um, is uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy 3. It says, He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care Ooh. of God's church? Yeah. Yeah. So, and then in... In the chapter, it's talking about what a leader of a church is. And in the three three versions outside of the NIV, they use the pronouns he. Mm-hmm. So that's the context that uh, three out of the four versions are using, where the NIT, or NIV, sorry, uh-huh. says, and I'll, because I want to give them their, because that is their a, due. Yes. Whoever aspires to be a leader, uh-huh. an overseer, a deacon, a bishop. Okay. Because the word overseer, you know, has a connotation of, at least in the U.S., of like a slave master. <laughs> Where at in the, yeah. in, if you read the footnotes of the Bible Gateway in every translation of overseer, it talks about bishop, deacon, leader. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't, it doesn't mean... Yeah, um, I, I think that's an inter- uh, interesting point to make. Not, not, I don't even know if we... Goodness gracious, go down that that road. Um, <laughs> I, I'm certainly not prepared to discuss that. Um, well, and, and but I, it is the language of. Yeah. And you look at biblical times. I mean, that that was in that was part of the society mm-hmm. um, cast, if you will, of of the positions that people played in society. Right. Um, whether they wanted to play them or not, that's where they were put. Um, and so, so that right. language would make. It makes sense and mm-hmm. has that that understanding. And then, and then, see, in some of my readings, you know, there's that this hyper masculinity mm-hmm. of Christianity that really lean on Genesis three sixteen. Yes, yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, it says, "And he shall rule over you." Mm-hmm. You know, and and I just want to make sure that our listeners understand that that is not where I'm coming from. For sure, right? Like, right. Um, to to me, me and Kara are completely equal in our marriage, but I but personally and the way I feel in my heart mm-hmm. that God does have um, a God-given expectation of a yeah. godly man. So let me ask you this. The, the, the passages that you mentioned 
mm-hmm. just a moment ago, have to do with um, uh, uh, leadership in the church. As well, and, yes. And and so then what would be the criteria for choosing those people? And and it has to do a lot with how is their family, you mm-hmm. know? Yes. Um, so if you were not, and I'm, you know, if you were not, you know, you had an opportunity to be like, upper management, like with Publix. I mean, like you had, yeah. you, you could have been on that track mm-hmm. um, and going in that way. So let's say you're not working at a church. You don't have the title media pastor. Would those verses still encourage you or give you that mindset that you have right now? Uh, depends on if I'm active in my faith. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think as... So your title as media pastor really doesn't lead you to those verses. No, that that <clears throat> the pastor part of my title mm-hmm. brings on a whole different level of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And there's different verses to to step on my entire body <laughs> all, for those. All of us. Yeah. Uh, yes. So, yeah. No, this is this is specifically I know it talks about being a leader in mm-hmm. the church, but to me these verses specifically talk about home. Husband, father, mm-hmm. yeah, those things. Okay. And well, then, that's yeah. But then even when um you know, talking about a husband and a wife, like leaving the parents and cleaving to your wife mm-hmm. and loving, and God God wants you to love your bride as much as God loves his bride, the church, mm-hmm. and, and there not being a differential in um, relationship there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's just as important as anything that these verses yeah. speak on For as sure. well. For sure. Well, and I, I I really appreciate you kind of fleshing that out a little bit because I don't think, um, and, and I know I expressed it last week, and again, I'll say it today, like I wasn't pushing back against it and not, but I just think for you to be able to speak out a little bit what you meant by having that responsibility and mm-hmm. and yep. how you felt like that was on you, I think is important because um, I think it, it's the intentionality and from what your heart is mm-hmm. outward makes the difference in, in what that might look like. Yes. Because there could be some someone who has a hyper, hyper patriarchal, yes. you know, women mm-hmm. are second class citizen viewpoint who could, who could say, I have that responsibility. That is not my wife's responsibility. And he's meaning a totally yes. different right. thing. And, that and was, I don't even think your tone last week implied that, but no, I just yeah. I wanted you to flesh that out. No, I, um, 100% and just uh, doing a little bit more research into what I've, what I've been taught and what I've listened to and why I've listened to those things. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard um, both extremes. I've heard uh, Christian hypermasculinity, or mm-hmm. they call it Christian hypermasculinity, and then... Hyper- Feminist Christian feminism, and neither of those are biblical. Nope, neither I, one. I agree with you on that for sure. Yeah, um, there and everything. Um, everything I'm reading is that uh, the outstretches of both complementarianism and ega, ega, egalitarianism egalitarianism are on the fringes of mm-hmm. biblical. So right, like with a hint. Yeah, it's yeah. like feminism with a hint of Christianity. You yeah. Know? So it's <laughs> complementarianism, hyper complementarianism with a hint of the Bible. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's really that it's it's really the spectrum like you're talking about that that that's where Christianity is in the in these two mm-hmm. topics. Mm-hmm. It's not one or the other. There are like there's ev- so much every person has a different yes. like I'm mm-hmm. you have 
let's say you're majority complementarianism, but you do have some egalitarianism yeah. in there somewhere, uh-huh. or vice versa. Yeah, you know. Well, and we t- we kicked off last week's episode discussing what was modeled for us in the home, which whether we know it or not does play. Yes. Um, you know, I said last week, yes, of course I'm an egalitarian. I, I wouldn't be a woman in ministry if I didn't have those understandings. But before I even knew what egalitarianism was, that's kind of how I was. But even so, there, there, the society and the culture and, you know, I was born in 1969. You know, so my childhood was the 70s and the 80s, right. you know. So even then, like the culture around me, um, it was different than the 50s and 60s that a lot of women dealt with. I mean, right, a lot of yeah. things had changed, but there was definitely still things being modeled and shown that I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say they're wrong, but I see how I'm, I might be doing them a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So but we are affected by so much. Yeah. And so let's be affected by scripture. Yes. Like, all right. So yes, our families have impact us. The culture around us does have like a, an effect on us, whether that, you know, drives us to scripture, drives us to want more culture, or we see how they, you know, how God can use that. I mean, which he totally can, um, getting off topic here, but I just, (laughs) you know, going back to scripture, I think is good. So I I guess I'll say this to you, Josh, you are not alone (laughs) because in all the reading and all the studying I've been doing, there are so many, many Christians, um, who would even say they're more Wesleyan in their doctrine, Mm -hmm. um, who would say maybe they're semi egalitarians, who believe and feel the way you do, both men and women. Right. So um, so definitely I'm not pushing back. So uh, let's say, and I'm not even saying we are, but let's let's just say, let's say you and I were like, draw a line in the sand and we disagree on, on complementarianism and egalitarianism. Okay? okay. And so we disagree. We are just, there's a line and there's no, here's the deal. And this is where it leads us into dogma, doctrine, and opinion, right? Okay. Um, so if we, whether we agree on the kind of leadership that men and women have in the home or specific roles for men and women in the church, do we have to agree on everything to be in communion with one another as believers? And we don't. Nope. And we don't. Which that's what leads us to dogma, doctrine, and opinion. Um, now here's, and we'll give definitions here. Um, some refer to dogma, doctrine, and opinion. And so you almost want to think of those as in like kind of levels, dogma at the top and then doctrine and opinion. Some might refer to those as like first order or first level doctrine and then second order and then third order. And don't miss the irony that there isn't even an agreement on the terminology. <laughs> but there, people will place these in different categories, like so, usually three categories. So dogma is like... First order. Like as hardcore doctrine. Mm, those like are the things. Those are like the things that would make us Christians. Like everyone, you know, there's the okay. dogma of Christianity is the, the Trinity. Okay. Um, okay. The uh, Jesus is is fully God, fully man. You know, He paid for our sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, salvation only comes through Him. Um, the inerrancy of Scripture. I mean, there are some of these things that are these are dogma. This is first order. This is the only way of salvation. You know, I mean, that is it. And okay. so, so. Even if you and I don't agree on the roles of men and women, mm-hmm. right, in the church, in the home, or whatever, if our dogma is the same, then we can still be in communion. Like, Correct. You, it, just because, you, let's say you don't agree with me, because I say, hey, all Christians should wear green t-shirts, and you're like, no, 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 all Christians should wear blue t-shirts. Well, 
what I don't want to do is say, well, since you're wearing a blue T-shirt, you're not a Christian. Right. And unfortunately... That happens a lot. A lot of people do that. Yes. And they want to put things in the dogma category that really don't need to be there. Okay. Okay. Um, So how about... so? Um, Stanley Grins and Roger Olson, they wrote a book called Who Needs Theology? An Invitation to the Study of God. They write this. Over the centuries, theologians have developed three main categories of Christian beliefs. Okay. Dogma, doctrine, and opinion. Dogma is the ecumenical creed. So that would be like our Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, those things that declare, like we believe in God the Father. You know, we just lay those out. These are, these are creeds that, that, whether you repeat them in the church service or not, mm-hmm. are part of the foundation of this is what we believe, right? Correct, okay. Um, again, the inerrancy of Scripture, the Trinity, salvation, these are all essential to the gospel. In other words, if, if, it's, if you were to deny any of these things, that you know, like apostasy, you, if you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, then, then, then we don't agree with dogma. Like, right. we don't have the same dogma, okay? Yeah. So that's the first level. And then there's what's called doctrine. Um, and this is their, their definitions, doctrine. And what doctrine would be is how um, it has to do with particular traditions, and this is where we get our denominations, Josh, okay. um, where we get our criteria for membership, because this is where there are differences on how baptism is done and right. who it's done for, yeah. how communion is understood um, and served, and is, is Jesus really in, you know, is there some sort of transubstantiation and the body of Jesus that comes into this or not, you know? Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, who holds ministry roles, right. okay? All these things, these are beliefs that are considered important, but they're not essential to mm-hmm. dogma. It doesn't change your belief in Christ. And this is where it gets... Str- some people want to put... Um, baptism, a communion, uh, who can serve in ministry, who cannot, these kinds of things, into dogma, mm-hmm. whether they know it or not, but that is how they are responding um, as leaders, as theologians, as professors, as writers, as all these things. Now, I'm not saying everyone does that, but there is a tendency to do that. Well, I mean, I was guilty of that when I was younger. You so know. If, if people didn't have the same doctrine as you, yeah. even though the dogma was the same, you would want to be like, they ain't Christian. Yeah. Well, they're not right. They're not. You ain't right. Yeah. Okay. So or with that thought, so but what you're saying about that was... I, I was elevating second level to first level. Mm-hmm. So you were questioning their salvation, whether... Yes. Wow, okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I say wow as if I've never done that before, but yeah, I have. So we've got dogma <laughs> and doctrine, and now here's opinion. Huh, everyone's got one, and everyone thinks everyone else's stinks. Uh-huh. <laughs> trying to keep it, trying to be G-rated version here. Um, so opinion, it's, it's, you know, it's judged to be matters of, really, when you come down to like private interpretation, beliefs that are considered interesting but relatively unimportant to the faith of the church. So one can believe whatever one wishes about the matter so long as it does not conflict with dogma or doctrine, right? I mean, so this really could be like, was Jesus... um, I don't even know if this is a good example or not. Um, How deep was the water that Jesus walked on? 
Okay. I mean, I don't know. I've never, I just kind of picked that out of nowhere. But like, is, is you know, if you could be like, I, it was four feet of water. Or it was 40 feet of water. But no, it was four. It was 40. Well, you ain't right. So you're not, you know, like that's, those are the things that. Like um, new earth, old earth. Yeah. 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 The creation, the creation yeah. story. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, see, that makes some people probably squirm a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, well, hold on a minute. What do you mean? Well, it, it New, the debate between New Earth and Old Earth doesn't affect that Jesus is sitting on the throne. It does not. Yeah, it does not. And it doesn't, yeah, and and, and all that he did but prior to sitting. Exactly. He was sitting on the throne, throne before, and then he came back to it. So yep. um, you're right. So that's a, that's a much better example than the four feet and 40 feet. So <laughs> good job. Um, so again, like, so main, so there's, we have a lot of mainline denominations right. that disagree on the modes of baptism, on the role of women, on ordination. These are not dogma. Most would say doctrine or second level, but still some churches, some denominations can act in, as if it were dogma. And that's where you kind of get, you know, I think it's, I think a challenge for, for you and me, Josh, and our listeners is for us to stop and go, are there some things that I've been considered, I've been considering to be dogma and they're really doctrine and I need to not be so hung up on it. Mm-hmm. Now, and I guess we might get into this later, but like, you need to be at a place where you worship and where you serve and where you're being fed and where you have opportunities to feed where your doctrine does line up with where you're, you know, a church like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it'd be really silly to to sit in a and be a part of a place that the doctrine is not what in your understanding of scripture does not line up. Yeah. Um because if you're going, well, yeah, we're all saying Jesus and God and Holy Spirit, so I'll hang out with that. But, man, I'm so unhappy. Like, you probably want to find a place that the doctrine lines up with your yeah, doctrine. Yeah, if you're just sitting there and stewing about one thing mm-hmm. that you're not happy with. Right, right. You know, why or, are you Or there? 14 things. So, yeah. right. So, um, now here's really where I want to go, because we've already kind of touched on this. Um, there is most definitely a spectrum of views regarding complementarianism and egalitarianism, right? There is a spectrum of this thing. Um, and so I have we given a definition of complementarianism and egalitarianism yet? I mean, we did last week, but... We haven't this week. Okay, so um, oh, we're going to get into that. Okay, we're going to get into that. Don't okay. count on me because I can't even say it. <laughs> um, so on the spectrum of views, there are certainly believers who affirm the authority of God's word for matters of faith and practice, right, dogma, but they differ in their understanding of gender roles, specifically in marriage and church ministry. And, and like I said, gen, d- gender roles is just one example. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, it could be about baptism or communion or church membership or view of the, the age of the earth, you know, any, a lot of these different things. But we began to wade into these waters last week in episode 38 about the roles of men and women. Mm-hmm. So we're going to continue on that line of, of thought. So the two main categories representing the different positions are complementarian and egalitarian. I've already said I'm egalitarian. You have said you are complementarian, egalitarian somewhere. You don't. Yeah, I'm. I lean more to the complementarian mm-hmm. side, but I'm not. I'm not a headship ruler. Right. Exactly. Okay. And I'm going to give some examples here in a moment. I think. It'll, it'll be interesting to look at. So here's, complementarians believe that men and women have different roles and responsibilities based on their gender, 
But they're both, you know, made in the image of God, uh, yet they complement, and, and that doesn't mean like, hey, honey, you look cute today, like complement with an E in there, uh, which means you you fit together, like you are complement, is, yeah, you're yeah. looking, it's like, what? Oh, hey. They are spelled differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not, Sorry. I think you look awesome. It's it's that we complement one another. We mm-hmm. We together are better, mm-hmm. uh, but we each have one distinct flesh. roles. Yes. Right. So complementarian is distinct roles. Egalitarians believe that men and women have equal roles and responsibilities regardless of their gender differences. Again, still, um, I mean, an egalitarian would say, yes, man and woman together are complementary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but in regard to how they live out, they, they can share all the roles, okay? The basic point of disagreement is whether a man has the ontological authority of hierarchy over the woman in marriage and mm. over the woman in church ministry. This is really what it boils down to in yeah. most of the stuff that you and I have been reading and looking at. I mean, that's yeah. that's where it all comes from. Yeah. Now, for those, most of us, that don't know what ontology means, it it it's it's one of those like expensive seminary words. But it really is basically like the study of our being, of our very existence, like of who we are. So people can be like all into ontology and really not have anything to do with creator God. So it's not nece- it's not strictly a Christian thinking, but in regard to that, like so there are those who would say <laughs> and we're going to look at <laughs> there are those who would say that women are ontologically, so in their very being, in their existence, they are different than males. That females are different like like a subset not of the same. Okay. And they're inherently inferior to men because men were first and woman came from man. And so they are not the same, mm. which really starts to push up against the um, made in the image of God. It really starts yeah. to press against that. Um, so ontology aside, but I think that's important to note because it'll come up again. Um most complementarians believe, and here's here's some scripture to kind of lay out the complementarian. Uh, if you want, you want to lead us through this part. Yeah, sure. Okay. Complementarians believe that uh, Genesis one and two establish the foundation for different roles and responsibilities of men and women. The creation account teaches male headship in marriage, a relationship instituted by God in which a man and a woman complement each other. First uh, Corinthians eleven three through ten teaches that the relative position of men and women is similar to their hierarchical structure within the Godhead. Okay, so that's you know God the Father and God the Son, right? Husband, wife, R- right? You know, so yeah. Uh, complementarians believe that in First Corinthians fourteen thirty four and thirty five and First Timothy two. 8 through 15, forbid women to teach or exercise authority over men in the local church. Now, we're going to go into the the spectrum of complementarians, because yeah. I know like you even addressed that yeah. last week. So, yeah. but yeah. Um, These are the main verses. Yeah, where, yeah. Like, if there was a summarization uh-huh. of, comp- of what a staunch complementarian is, this mm-hmm. is the definition. Yes, yep. Um, Ephesians 5, 22, and 1 Peter 3, 1. Exhort wives to submit to their husbands. 
Uh, based on these scriptures, complementarians hold that a husband should have the final authority in his home and men should have the final authority in the local church. Okay, so that is like the base. That's before you look at the spectrum. So that's one end that of is, the spectrum. That is the end of yes, the spectrum. Right. And here's the other end, the egalitarian side. Um, egalitarians believe scripturally that the creation account in Genesis 2.18 establishes the foundation for an equal partnership of men and women in the world and in ministry. It's not good for man to be alone is what Scripture tells us there. And so in marriage, a woman serves God with her husband in a relationship of equality and mutuality. Ephesians 5.21, see, we often go to 5.22 and 23. Um, but 5.21, before you start to see about who submits to who, it calls all believers, Paul calls all believers to submit to one another. Mm-hmm as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So you see the mutuality. Uh, again, we're gonna, we refer you to episode 30 um, to hear some of these uh, verses. Jesus, egalitarians would say, by his teachings and his actions affirmed the worth and value of women as equals to men. And in the New Testament, there are examples of women who prophesy, teach, and serve the Lord alongside men. Uh, Galatians 3.28 shows us that in Christ there are no longer gender distinctions and that both male and female are equals. It doesn't take away from the the uh, the the beautiful the, the beautiful nature of, of of male and female and who they are, but it doesn't bring a distinction in what they're able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so and one of the things we talked about episode 30 was that context is very important. So Mm -hmm. passages that might seem to indicate that men should have authority over women should be interpreted in those specific contexts and not always necessarily apply to of all time and all space. Mm -hmm. What were you about to say? And and I I was listening to um, a sermon by Matt Chandler Mm -hmm. and he was talking about how um, uh, staunch complementarianism and staunch egotality E-gal. Think about a gal. Hey, gal. Egalitarian. <laughs> if it's not Christ-centered, uh, complementarianism will lead to ownership, mm-hmm. abusiveness, yes. misogyny, lordship, um, yes. uh, anger, whereas uh, on Christ-centered egalitarianism uh-huh. will lead to blurred lines between uh, biblical definitions of uh, marriage um, like men and women, uh-huh. uh, being the foundation of marriage. Uh-huh. Uh huh. One man, one woman. Yes. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, this is a yeah. Matt Chandler. No, I'm asked again. I say really like I'm shocked, but I know that that's where a lot of people want to take egalitarianism. I I don't agree with that, but yeah, continue. Um, and then also, uh, if they're not Christ-centered, they tend to be very uh, liberal, where uh-huh. complementarians tend to be yes. uber. Yeah. Um, Conservatives, so yeah. like the people that put their faith in Trump and Biden, uh, are, are the two. Uh-huh. yeah. And actually, I just said I don't agree with that. Um, I, I, I think as believe your point was if you're not a Christian but you right. find yourself there, you could that right. it's like, an easy if, step. If, it, if it's not Christ centered, it's Correct. an easy step to those places that we don't want to right. go. Right, right. Now you can be on the far side of both of these and still be Christ centered. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but if you that is that slippery slope of if with you being the extreme and not keeping yourself Christ centered, <laughs> yeah. you will yep. fa- you will you will fall out of biblical <laughs> teaching 
and yeah. it's it's where um, arrogance in what you believe, mm-hmm. and you're more you care more about what you believe than why than why you believe it. Yes, and, I think that's a very good point. And that's what I, and that's what I, I know. You said you didn't agree with me, but that's what I'm trying to get to is that um, it, if we're not Christ centered on these beliefs, then yep. we care more about beliefs than anything else and then we push our beliefs isn't that the opinions then it's like opinions are more important than dogma they're more important than doctrine or dogma so with that yeah so i do agree with you in that regard i pictured it as a pyramid i don't know why the dogma doctrine is this this like an mlm thing okay but i always picture the people or people that don't have it christ-centered it's always upside down yeah yeah. And the biggest thing is on top which is your opinions Mm -hmm. and then the most important thing which is so focused yeah is is trying like you're trying to balance the whole thing yeah yeah on the point of dogma but you can't because it's so top heavy on all the other junk on all the other junk that's a very good point yeah yeah so i do agree with you that because i i i I missed the part where you said if not christ followers it's just that so i I get you um because as a christ follower I i think you can go and i don't i don't think you need to I have issue with this. Like, why do we as humans want to push and go, where's the line? Where, where is it? Show me the line. I want to go all the way to it. Oh, be- like, show me the line of this is as much. I mean, and I say why. I mean, Adam and Eve had this problem. Yeah. Here, enjoy this beautiful creation here. But here is all of this. You have all of this. You have dominion over all of this. Enjoy this. Be this. Just don't eat from that tree. We only had one rule. <laughs> And we broke it. You had one job. Yeah, literally. <laughs> don't do that. Do whatever else you want. What don't do that. And what is you know what does the enemy do? Did is that what God really said? Yeah, exactly. Is that really the line? <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we're always looking for the line. So those are the two camps, if you will, right? Complementarianism and egalitarianism. But like we've said, how there are several different views that believers who hold that hold the same dogma, but they vary in regard to other things like in this regard men and women and their roles in home and the church and society again there are other issues and doctrines we could talk about but we started on this journey so we're going to continue down this path um, on on this topic so in agreement on dogma let's start there boom agreement on dogma yep jesus god holy spirit the bible woo-hoo. we find a spectrum of positions beyond the basic categories of just complementarian and egalitarian Right. So in regard to these second level issues or doctrine. So here are six examples. And after I read you these examples, I'm going to offer some quotes or comments by some very well-known Christians, um, leaders, pastors, things like that. Um, So here's the first. And I think this is where you would say this was the this is that line way Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. are what you would call the extreme traditionalists. And I almost don't even like to use the word traditionalist, but it's one that's been applied by many, so I, I'll just stay with it. Okay, know. cool. But this group believes, th- this comes back to the ontology, this group believes that women are ontologically inferior to men in some ways, and consequently, men should have preference and more authority than women in all things. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's way over there. Way, way over there on that line of complementarianism. So now, here's another example. A complementarians who believe... 
men and women are the same ontologically. So they are both, you know, the imagio Dei, they're both made in the image of God, right? But that male headship or authority biblically applies over all women. Mm-hmm. All right? So okay. you're going to see the spectrum here. Yeah. Here's the next one. Complementarians who believe that male headship or authority over women applies in the home and church according to Scripture but not necessarily in other institutions or in society in general. So with this, women like are not permitted in lead roles in the church, though women may lead you know, children or other women, like we talked about okay. uh, last week. Another one on this, this spectrum is complementarians who believe that male headship or authority only applies between a husband and his wife. So doesn't it doesn't need to show up in church. It doesn't need to show up in society in general, just within the marriage. Right. Um, five, here's the fifth example. Some egalitarians and some complementarians who do not believe in hierarchy or headship, but more so in a voluntary submission of the wife to the husband in the marriage, in their home. So they may agree on women in leadership and, and ministry positions and all that, uh, but it's really about they... They don't really go hierarchy or headship, but that's like a voluntary submission. Like okay. they don't really use those words. Here's the sixth example on the spectrum. So you see how they're much more on the complementary side. But six is egalitarians who believe that women and men are ontologically the same and have the same gifts, believe more in a mutual submission is is the ideal for marriage. There there are no limits on women in ministry and they can serve in all positions that men serve in. Um is is there an extreme to egalitarianism? I mean, like there is complementary on because in uh, Christianity, yes. Um, and I don't think so. Because the reason I ask is because a lot of the complementary uh, teachers preachers will use the word um, feminist, feminist egalitarianism as the, as the extreme of egalitarianism. Mm-hmm. Is that does that really exist? I. I mean, I think that that could be an argument to be to be played out, uh-huh. um, and yeah, like in all the stuff I've read, um, what I found if if is if they're an egalitarian, they don't call it feminist egalitarianism. Okay, I found that complementarians will refer to it as feminist egalitarianism. Yes, that that is the only place way I've, you've read. I, yeah, I found that. So I don't know if that's just a you know. So I don't know if it's actually real. I mean, it. It is in regard to lifting up women, but not, as we said last week, not lifting women above men. Correct. But lifting them up to a place of mutuality. Okay. Instead of headship um, or a hierarchy or, you know, anything like that. So, yes and no. I don't know how to answer that. Um, But again, like you pointed out earlier, yes, you could take egalitarianism and go way the other direction. But to me, you're from the example I just gave about we're the same ontologically in our, in our very existence. We mm-hmm. are the same. Yeah. Um, we are, we are made in the image of God. Um, but we have a mutual submission that's under God. I think once you go any f- past that and you, you're taking, you're taking God out of it and Correct. it's just, okay. a, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I would say with that. Uh, something important to note both complementarians and egalitarians base their perspectives on Scripture. Yes. And that's in regard to the conversation we are having. Are there complementarians who go way off and really, like, leave Scripture? And are there egalitarians that go off and leave Scripture? And I would say, yes, they do. 100%. Um, 
couple, an interesting insight. I found this very interesting, Josh. Um, and I think you kind of touched on this already, talking about your marriage and stuff. Kevin Giles, he wrote a book called The Headship of Men and the Abuse of Women. So that's not a great start. No. But um, he writes that marriages that are flourishing among professed complementarians are actually far more egalitarian than is admitted. <laughs> Yes. I and I wonder if, like, dudes are like, oh, yeah, totally complimentary. Yeah, we are. Yeah, she, yeah, huh, yeah. But then when you really start to drill down. When, when you when you go through the boxes and yeah. everything, that's like, that's where I, that's once you even, personally, that's when I even consider egalitarianism in my spectrum. Mm-hmm. Because when yep. I look at the boxes that mm-hmm. I check, mm-hmm. just, to, just to be a good husband. Yeah, yeah. You know? In, yeah. in my mind of what a good husband is. I read this the other day, an article, and I don't think I put it in anywhere in my notes, but I sent it to a friend of mine because we were having a conversation about this. And it was like, okay, um, it was, I think I might have sent it to the staff, actually. or I don't know if I did. But it was just this whole thing about, like, mainline masculinity. Um, and John Wayne? Yes. Yeah, you sent it to uh, Jesus and John Wayne. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, which I don't know... Uh, the author, uh, Dumez is her last name, but uh, she goes, I, I think she kind of wanders past, on the egalitarian side, she, I think she wanders past the line a yeah. little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, because I think more like, we need more like Jesus and Andy Griffith instead of Jesus and John Wayne. But anyway, but because, here's here's mm. what, this is a guy that, review, he was reviewing that book. This guy, he's a pastor. Okay. He says this, my mother is one of the strongest, most outspoken people I have ever encountered. And yet I never sensed that her strength diminished my father's. I was never taught the idea that his identity as a man was dependent upon the submission of his wife. Manliness was a thing rooted in a gentle confidence in doing the right thing, taking care of your family, keeping your word, doing hard work, humbly seeking God's will, and treating everyone equally and fairly. I absorb this not from fiery sermons or men's retreats, but from a lifetime of, of observing my father and hoping to emulate him in all that I do. Mm. That's why I say Jesus and Andy Griffith, because that's more Andy Griffith than I'm, John Wayne. Yeah, Wood. I mean, it's completely <laughs> Andy Griffith. Yeah. And I mean, that's just powerful. If I don't have the... Um, uh, I'll, I'll find that so I can share that. You know, it, complementary and egalitarianism aside, we do have a man problem <laughs> in the church. There's just not enough strong enough men. In their faith. Uh, define strong. I know more biblically sound women than I do men. Mm, okay. That's what I appreciate your, your definition of strength. Yep. Then. Because it's not machismo. No. I Who cares about machismo? It's not how many fish you that, caught last weekend? That's, or? Not, that's not what's going to change lives. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I, I, my grandmothers. Uh-huh. And... Old ladies in the church I grew up in were the most spiritually sound people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it w- it took a very long time until I met someone that was a man that was biblically as sound as them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. we do we do have a masculinity problem. So, <laughs> um, would you say that egalitarianism takes away from or has diminished the or had an effect? on that lack that you have noticed? 
when you because uh, some complementarians will say exactly. I w- I don't want to say that it has the cause. I will say that men have used a cop out. Oh snap! W- I'm glad you said that. I and will not me. say that. I think men have been able to use a cop out for too long because um, the growing. This is gonna sound. Yeah, speak it out, and we'll yeah. Like as women have become more equal, mm-hmm. men have taken a step back mm. and have become not the good men of the mm-hmm. good qualities that, that not were, all men, not all men, right? But the right, good qualities right. that we're searching for to be as godly men have uh-huh. taken a step back because I feel like God, I don't have to search very far to find a godly woman. Uh-huh. I have to dig to find a godly man. Is I hear what you're saying, and in some ways, I I I I'm like, yeah, I kind of I get that, and I think I can kind of see that. But I also wonder, Josh, if because of our our differences as men and women, mm-hmm. right? So we can still mutually submit to one another, but but still have differences, right? Yeah. Um, with our differences, is it possible that? women are able to express their uh, spiritual maturity in a way that it's harder for men to do, so therefore you don't see it, so then therefore you assume it's not there. Mm. I know those are a lot of steps of assumption, but... I mean, is that is that part of the cop-out? <sighs> Probably, yeah, yeah. Because I'll tell you one of the, the most... Um, beautiful things, I don't know if that's the right word, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that I see in men Mm -hmm. that love Jesus is that they are willing to show emotion. Yes. That if they're moved to tears, they will, they will let the tears flow. Um, that if they are, um, uh, righteously anger, angered, like they will step up and speak, um, on behalf of, of others. And, and like, they're not afraid to show the emotion Mm -hmm. of their faith. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is a beautiful, beautiful thing to witness. And, and Uh, I would say that there's a lack of that in in the church and society as a general. Yeah. So yeah, I hear you on that. I hear you on that. Um, so to go back to the whole, uh, that there are marriages that are probably much more egalitarian than is admitted. There's mm-hmm. a part of me when I read that and I'm like, I just want more dudes to admit it then. Like, don't, you know, if, and I'm not saying this for you, but like, you know, if you're, if you feel like, well, I got to because me and all my dudes, we all say we're complementarians. So I'm going to keep saying that even though when we get down to brass tacks, we have an egalitarian marriage and I'm totally fine with it. And I'm, and I love my wife and she loves me and we love the Lord. And we are like, there's nothing in me that's keeping me up at night because of that. So mm. like, here we are. I just want more dudes to admit it if that's the case, you know, cause it's like when you start to ask about the day-to-day decision-making and finances and, and plans for childbearing and how you're going to do child rearing and your religious practice and, you know, what kind of church involvement are you going to have and the education and retirement and so on, all these things. Most marriages are egalitarian in nature. Flourishing marriages. Mm, good, good point. Because that's what Giles that's, that's says. That's what he says. Yes, yes. Um, regardless of what a complementary person or even a complementary couple, because let's let's just go ahead and say this if I haven't said it, 
it's not just men who are complementarians. There are plenty of women who are complementarians, and there are plenty of men who are mm-hmm. egalitarian. So it's not yeah. an either or. It's not no. like all the men are complementary and all the women are. It just no. happened to work like yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> um, so in most of these cases, though, the the woman has as much, if not more so, at times, influence on decision making that leads the family, and that kind of depends on what that decision is or what the plan is because there are things that drew knows that, that there are things that i'm going to go drew i want you to make that call because i don't have it within like that's not my you know Forte. i trust you to make that decision mm-hmm. i don't i don't i don't feel like i have enough you know knowledge or information or whatever and there's other things that he defers to me mm-hmm. and that's just you know so yeah. and it's no big deal so a person may find themselves somewhere on that spectrum i offered one six different examples of kind of where those are um I want to repeat, as Christians, we can remain in connection with one another, even if there's not an agreement on this second level doctrine issue of the roles of men and women yeah. in the church and home. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, um, I don't know, what about, what about here at the porch? Let's, let's bring it down, right? All right. So here at the porch. Um, okay. Because if you start like looking at these six, these six characteristics of complementarianism and egalitarianism, because um, I, I do, I kind of go, well, what does that look like at, at the porch community church? What does that mean? I would, I would say, I don't, I don't think that a person who holds to points one, two, or three, <laughs> um, which to repeat real quick, are the extreme traditionalists, like we're not even the same in our existence and our being, right. or that uh, male headship and authority is, applies to all men over all women, no matter what the context is, or even the complementarians who uh, believe that women cannot have lead roles in the church, um, that can just work with other, you know, with children or other women. I would say that someone who finds themselves in that one, two, or three category is not going to feel super comfortable in our church. <laughs> I would agree with that. I mean, yeah. 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 And I don't, um, with our doctrine of belief that, that women are not disqualified from any role, uh, now they're most welcome here. And maybe even they could see um, our understanding of Scripture and mm-hmm. see how we carry that out, and yeah. and maybe their mind would be changed. Um you know, because we're right and everyone else is wrong. That's not exactly. true. I'm just kidding. Um, but obviously, we affirm the call of women and men to ordain ministry as elders, as deacons, and any other leadership roles throughout the church. There is not a role within the Porch Community Church that a woman cannot hold. There's not a role in the Porch Community Church that a man cannot hold. Correct. So um, as United Methodists, Currently, uh, we affirm we are currently United Methodist. Uh, we affir- we affirm <laughs> this, and in the near future, when we shift to a new denomination um, called the Global Methodist Church, uh, the affirmation of women and men in all leadership roles within the church will continue. So, at the porch, m- women like men will, will we will never be disqualified from serving as a lead pastor or any other leadership or pastoral role. Right. Um, so same mm-hmm. as men. So. Um, do you like my heading I put on this next on this next uh, topic? I do. What what does it say? What do all the ki- cool kids have to say about this? <laughs> so what do all the cool kids have to say about this? And by cool kids I mean the people that you and I know as they write books and they say speak you, sermons and t- conferences and they get quoted a lot. If you know these people you're probably not cool. <laughs> well, yeah. And I so, know all these people. 
Here is a statement from John Piper, which kind of, he said, if people accept egalitarianism, right, the doctrine, right. sooner or later, they're going to get the gospel wrong, dogma. I would, I would watch. Like, I would like to know. Like, I'd like to hear the entire. <laughs> no, you don't want to just pull out one sentence no. and do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to find the source for that because yeah, I've had it in I my am, notes for I, a long time. I am interested on everything he said along with that to find out if he's completely off base or why he is why he's saying that. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I mean, go ahead. Out of out of all the people. I know, I know more. I've read more about more Piper. from Piper than anyone else on this list. So I would be interested to know why he said that. Yeah, yeah. Um, oof, yeah. I want to say I'll have to find that. I'll have to find that, and I will let you know. Um, R.C. Sproul, you heard of him? Oh yeah. <laughs> he wrote a book, "The Intimate Marriage: A Practical Guide to Building a Great Marriage." And I tried to read that. Oh I, well, I'm about to read a paragraph, and I understand why you said the word "tried." He says, "Quote: The man is responsible for the spiritual well-being of his wife. Her sanctification is his responsibility." It's kind of like what you were right. There, there is probably no male task that has been more neglected in our society than this one. In seeking the sanctification of the church, there is a sense in which Christ seeks to change his wife, the church. Mm -hmm. So the husband is called to change his wife. You should go home and tell that to Kara. Um, we should seek to present our wives to Christ as holy and blameless, being without spot or wrinkle. Again, go home and say that to yeah. Kara, that yeah. you want to present her without spot or wrinkle. Um, that, now, outside of the changing... Of your wife, uh huh. There, I like the first part of this. I'm good with. Okay. See, and that so this gives an example of yeah. someone and, and what they've written. Um, in discussing Ephesians five, uh, Kent Hughes asks, "Men, do you realize it is your divinely ordained responsibility to seek your wife's sanctification?" Um, now. I went down a rabbit hole early this morning on oh, yeah? sanctification. Yeah. yeah. Because there is there's definitely a there's there's a spectrum on a definition of that in regard to how people use it. Oh. Um, I didn't know that. Well, just uh, you know, when you get down to like the root words, it really means like set apart. Yeah. Um to be sanctified and in most cases it's talking about this is holy, set it apart, mm -hmm. set it apart like um you know, we would use it in terms of like talking about grace that once we've been justified in our faith, then the rest of our lives we are being sanctified. We are set apart. We're peculiar people, and we should be growing like in closer and closer to God. Talking about that that um, that triangle image you had earlier, right? Like right, yeah. we're growing closer to God. Um, and so there is some different kind of you know, understandings of of what that would mean. But when you look at Piper and Sproul and Hughes, what you find is they're they're taking I will say this, I do know this whenever I collated all this stuff, was this was all taken regarding Ephesians 5.26 that describes the husband as being responsible for his wife's progressive sanctification. Mm -hmm. Like her growth in holiness, her spiritual walk is what they were talking about. Right. Um, and the reason I think that kind of starts to, to, I don't know, push back on me a little bit as an egalitarian is it seems to kind of take away like, what's my responsibility for my sanctification mm. if it's just Drew's job? 
Right. Right. Um, so, but then you, that, that I said I went to a rabbit hole because there's this whole thing about how we are to, I don't know, gosh, I don't even want to say it, but well, I'll drop a little, I'll drop a little uh, teaser. I think Paul was actually kind of an egalitarian. Why would you say, why? Uh, we'll talk about that in a couple okay. episodes. Um, so <laughs> he makes some very egalitarian statements. I don't know if he really was an egalitarian. I don't really think he was, but he makes some statements that make you go, wow. I mean, I don't know where he was, but like Paul wrote most of the verses I read too. So I know exactly, so, exactly. I mean, Paul is very like, yeah. If there is a middle of the road, I would say it's Paul. Mm-hmm. Mm. More, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. More so than not. Yeah, and and some of that could probably just be the fact that he wrote so much of it. But. Well, and and with Paul, like his his uh, biblical teaching to whatever church mm-hmm. he was talking to was kind of. Addressing what yeah. the shortcoming that church had. You mean he spoke in context? Yes. Oh, wow. Like the ones that are talking about women need to be silent because, had a yes. gossip problem. Right. And because there was like, they were in this society where women were like, like worshiped and yeah. holy and, like you know, all this. For yeah. Yeah. Refer back to episode 30. Yeah. 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 So um, I do want to make this point um, just that sanctification does not mean salvation. Like it, it's not your job. You, you don't save Kara. Yes. Like Jesus yes. does that. Right? And yeah, I yeah I, I should have said that at, at the beginning part when I said I agreed with that. I was of like, course, yeah. I do not. I yeah. am not the middleman between Kara. And Jesus. <laughs> right, right. Which I do. I in some of the stuff I've read, Josh, it just seems as if that's where whenever you go pushing up against that line for some yeah. commentarians, it almost I get that that vibe. But when you do that, what happens is that it, that contradicts numerous passages that reveal that salvation is possible only through personal obedience. So you start that that starts to go against Acts chapter two and Second Thessalonians one and Hebrews five, like all these well, places it talks about the personal obedience exactly. to Christ. And yeah. then so Ephesians five twenty six and the NIV um, talks about to make her holy, mm-hmm. wash her in the word. Mm. It it doesn't say anything yeah. about. It is your job to make sure she's sanctified. Yeah. Just cover her in love. Yeah, yeah. That's, and I think that's really what the verse is yeah. saying. And and where is it? I don't have it in front of me, but where it talks about how a a, a believing married woman sanctifies her husband. Uh, now that I don't. Yeah. yeah I don't know the address for that the one. unbelieving husband. Oh yeah yeah, 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 and it's because and 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 it also says and then a man married to an unbelieving woman sanctifies mm-hmm. her. Yes. So there is this. It's like okay, you're set apart in that. Now you have this um, opportunity to be learning and teaching and and you're you're um, living out by example your yes. faith in Christ. Um, so opinion here. Uh huh. One of my things is I I feel like the the changing of the spouse. Mm-hmm. comes to the point in a marriage where uh, one of the becomes a believer yep and is now working to become evenly yoked yeah as as a married couple yeah and I you know I don't know if uh, one of RC Sproul's uh someone who's like in a in the Sproul camp but Probably who's knows. 30 years yeah. old 35 he's not gonna write the words so the husband is called to change his wife no, he's gonna use different yeah, vernacular yeah. just because of the time and I, I don't know how old Sproul is but but important I think for this is important for future discussion Piper Sproul and Hughes are all part of that council of biblical manhood and womanhood which next week we are going to deep dive into 
that organization and kind of the influence that it's had huge effect on American evangelical culture. I mean, huge, huge, huge. Um, because the CBMW, that's that's the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, right. uh, it's made up of pastors and speakers and writers and booksellers and convention organizi- organizers and people on the radio and church planning networks and lay people and televangelists and seminary professors and seminary presidents. All these, it's led to this uh, to continue to lead men and women over over decades, really, to to promote a complementarian view of leadership, headship, and authority in the church and home, um, which some would say is is it's male centric. Um, right, you got to be careful there. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So next week in episode forty, we're going to do a deep dive into secret. Yes, I said secret beginnings of the council dun, of dun, biblical dun. manhood and womanhood. So if you like those kind of mystery type podcasts, next week's your week. Okay, so more cool kid responses. Um, in April of 2021, so not very long ago, okay, Beth Moore apologized. Do you remember when this went down, Josh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apologized for ever having supported what she called the, quote, man-made doctrine of complementarianism. Now, Grins and Olson, they're the ones that gave us the, uh, the dogma doctrine and belief. They talk about how that's kind of been... Mm-hmm. Uh, they would call that not uh, the man-made doctrine of complementarianism. They would they would probably say um, doctrine or possibly even opinion. But anyway, that's what she called it, man-made doctrine of complementarianism, which is kind of true. I mean, everything is... Egalitarianism is man-made in that it's yep. not in the Bible. The Trinity isn't man-made because that word never shows up in the Bible. So, you I know, mean, you got to... it's just people people that love Jesus trying to figure it all out. Right, right, right. So, but more, she she admonished anyone who... Tra- <laughs> this is what she did. Okay, this is where I was saying Grins and Olson would change. More admonished anyone who treats complementarianism as a first-order doctrine or dogma. And this is what she says, quote, let me be blunt, when you functionally treat complementarianism, a doctrine of man, in all caps... As if it belongs among the matters of first importance, yea, as a litmus test for where one stands on the inerrancy and authority of Scripture, you are the ones who have misused Scripture. I mean, she's not wrong. She's not, but Albert Moeller, you know Mm -hmm. him? Yeah. Uh Yeah. He responded saying to that quote, saying that complementarianism is not a first order. It's not a dogma that it's it's not a first order doctrine as as, uh, a, a lot of like people in the SBC and stuff would say, he didn't, and he said he didn't know anyone who believed it to be so. But however, Moore seemed to experience the the doctrine of complementarianism in a different way because that's really what she felt. Yeah, okay. I'd, yeah I'd be interested on where she experienced it as a dogma. Because mm-hmm. I even in the churches I grew up in, yeah. it was never, this is equal to Jesus. Right. Like it was never thought of as... Like, do you believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that man's over woman? Right. Like, mm-hmm. to join the church, you didn't go, you believe in Christ the Father, mm-hmm. and no woman <laughs> should be in my pulpit. Like, they never did that. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But I wonder if that if it's not... It's not in any... I understand group. her... And I, and I don't, I don't want to play this card, but being a woman... I understand what she says in that without it ever being spoken, it is implied in so many circumstances and so many ways without it ever being said out loud. Yeah. So that women 
that that if you don't if you don't adhere to only you know the complementarian view, then then you're really not like we said at the outset. Mm-hmm. Then you might not be right. Right. And I have experienced that. Yeah. Without the words ever being spoken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I still do. And that's yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. It's just well, what it is. And that and at that point, I would say it's people that have crossed that line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I would. This is like the Piper quote. I would like to see, not not the context of everything mm-hmm. that she said, but the experience that that. Well, and she. There's a lot of like um, uh, guessing on, you know, speculation on what all led to that because it was really like a tweet. I mean, yeah, yeah. or it was a post. You it, only have so many characters, right? To like tell we your don't, we, no one really knows all the background, like what mm-hmm. happened. But a lot of it has to do with your best friend, John MacArthur. He's not my best I'm friend. just kidding. And I would, I would say that he's definitely an extreme traditionalist. Um, in October of 2019, so this is two years or a year and a half before. Beth Moore made that statement. John MacArthur, he was speaking at a celebration. uh, It was celebrating his 50 years of being in ministry. And he was asked to do this like word association game to respond with two words to things that were said to him. And I mean, I think this was totally like set up on purpose. Oh, yeah, I remember this. The the guy, the, the, the the, narrator guy, whatever. He was looking for a tweetable moment. He said, uh, respond in two words to this. And he says, Beth Moore. And so MacArthur's 80-year-old MacArthur obliged, and he said, go home. (laughs) And the cavalier reaction of that sent shockwaves through the evangelical community. Oh, my goodness. And and now it led some to come to MacArthur's defense, but a lot of people criticized just for the tone of, like, the rhetoric, like the way he did that. You know, there... On both sides, his statement wasn't good. No, and he, and when when pressed on it, he said, I think in that moment, he said, there is no case that can be made biblically for a woman preacher, is what he said. Now, a month later, he was asked to respond to that reaction. Um, no, I'm sorry, he wasn't asked to respond. A month later, he responded. He, he actually wrote a sermon and, and delivered this based on all that had gone down, because it, mm-hmm. it, it was a yeah. firestorm. Yeah. Um, so in response to his two-word, go home, he, um, he spoke briefly on Isaiah chapter 3, and, and, and it, it's what the Lord promised judgment on the women of Judah <laughs> who had become self-centered and taken their focus away from God, and they set their affections toward worldly approval and attention by adorning themselves with lavish jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> that was his text, Okay. <laughs> MacArthur suggested that when women take up places of authority in society, it leaves men weakened. How does that relate to your comment earlier that with women having more leadership roles just across the board, that it's made some men step back? Well, I think it, I think the cop out, uh, men become weak. I think it should be men choose. Mm-hmm. To become weak, ah, and I think that's where the issue is. And and maybe include I would include the word some men. Some, yeah, not. I, I mean, like if they want to do it, let them do it. Listen to what he says more. 
He says, when women take over a culture, men become weak. This was from his sermon. When men become weak, they can be conquered, he said. When all the men have been slaughtered, you women can sit there with all your jewelry and junk. You've been conquered because you've overpowered your protector. Oh, and then later in the sermon, he argues that women are not suited for spiritual or even cultural authority and leadership because of their typical women's sensibilities. That was a quote. Mm. And so the <laughs> aspect of when men become weak, they can be conquered. I think he's 100 percent right. I think when women become weak, they can be conquered. Well, yeah, I'm using men I would say as hum- man. humanity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's completely right in that statement. Yeah. If we're if we if we don't sharpen ourselves in biblical stuff, mm-hmm. we're going we're going to be conquered by whatever. Yeah, I just don't I don't like how he sets up that if a man, I like your term, chooses yeah. to be weakened. And I think that's exactly that the the conqueror is not woman. No. The conqueror is the enemy. Exactly. And and he's setting up this argument where it's the women are conquering men, and I just don't agree with that I, at all. I don't agree with that either. Yeah. Um, he, he warned, in, this is still in his sermon, that some church leaders were caving in to women preachers. So he was kind of talking about even like the SBC. Um, and he said, when the leaders of evangelicalism roll over for women preachers, the feminists have really won the battle. The primary effort in feminism is not equality, they want to be senators, preachers, congressmen, president, the power structure in a university. They want power, not equality. And this is the highest location they can ascend to that power in the evan- evangelical church. Talk about being pastors. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. And uh, I'm giving you some quotes from people that are on this spectrum. Okay. Mm-hmm. Saddleback Church. Uh, a Southern Baptist church, mega church in California, led by Rick Warren. A lot of people have heard of him. Uh, in May of this year, he ordained ordained three women pastors. And, of course, now it's under investigation by the Southern Baptist Church um, on their cred- credentials committee um, for going against their statement of faith, which, curiously enough, was adopted from the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which, which we will get the, into later. This is a witch hunt, like Baptist the, faith. The SBC message. has no control over what yeah. Saddleback does. Like this is a this like, is a this news, is their opportunity to kind of make a, a comment. This is a news witch hunt that like they can't do anything to Saddleback. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just interesting that that was their immediate response. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah. Like just I've I've read a couple articles on this. This is like total BS. Like they can't do anything to yeah. Saddleback. Now, though, we've spent a, a, a good time, <laughs> a amount of time discussing differences and points of view and, and different comments. I think what Andy Stanley says is a great way to wrap up today's episode, Josh. Um, Stanley, who's also an SBC member, uh, lead pastor of North Point Community Church in Atlanta, um, he was preaching on John 17, and it, that's when Jesus prays that his followers may be one as we are one, Jesus speaking to the Father, to, you know, they are the Trinity, you know. Uh, I and them and you and me, um, so that they may, may be brought to complete unity. Uh, then he says, then the, the scripture says, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I've totally butchered that, that verse. Um, <laughs> but the whole point is may, that we, they may be one as we are one. Stanley said that he found it significant that Jesus prayed 
uh, that his followers would be one. And uh, Stanley said that belief in Christ, right, that's our dogma, was more, and he said this, belief in Christ was more important than theological arguments like how communion should be served or if babies should be baptized, which is doctrine. Mm -hmm. And he asked the question, quote, will we prioritize our oneness over our doctrinal peculiarities? Mm. Like he's saying, will we, will, we, will we let our dogma be more important than our doctrine? Yeah. And then he says, our baptism, our communion, our style of worship, our preaching, because he, it was kind of like tired of, as you said last week, like discussing like what's the color of the carpet going to be in yeah, the yeah. sanctuary. Now, some fundamentalists, some extremes, they almost lost their minds on Stanley for that because they took it out of context and they were like, Stanley said that unity is more important than theology. And that's not what that's not Andy what he, said. That's not what he said. He, he said. closed with this, or <laughs> I'm going to close with this before we say goodbye. Stanley said that Jesus prayed for our oneness that we'd be on the same page. This is mission critical. Mm-hmm. If we are not one, we will not win. Unity is mission critical, and disunity disrupts the mission. I think that's a perfect way to end it. Yeah, and there's no there's no pitting and all that stuff. So, wow. That was a deep dive. That was a deep, deep dive. Deep, deep dive. Um, I appreciate your insight and your um, just, you know, talking these things through with 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 you as a man with you as your background mm-hmm. um growing up in the church that you were involved in and me kind of not really church but kind of catholic you know yeah. like we just have different perspectives our oh, age yeah. difference so many things so i i really appreciate this this conversation and the things we've talked about so um and i i appreciate your role that you have you. here at the church and, and it's i important. appreciate and love you Thank you. And Thank your you. role that God has placed you in. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, listeners, thanks for hanging with us. If you made it through this episode, you are our number one fans. Yes. Come and let us know Sunday. Say, hey, I'm your number one fan. And we'll know. That That's like code that you listened all the way to the end. All right. We, we appreciate you guys. Thanks for giving us your time. I hope this has encouraged you, made you think. Go read your Bible. We'll see you Sunday. See you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the 167 Podcast. Join us next time for more insights to inspire, challenge, and encourage to help you live into the remaining 167 hours of your week.